Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. What if Johnny I just Phillips, like <laughs> thank you so much for being on the Mike Litton Experience, bud. I really, really appreciate you, and um, I'm super excited to have our listeners get a chance to get to know you better. So as you know, as we talked about before we started this, um, everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And so with your permission, we're going to start with where you were born and then go all the way up to today. And then we can cover anything you'd like to cover that you're working on today and anything you're working on for tomorrow. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for being here, buddy. I appreciate you. All right. So where were you born? I was born in Ohio. Okay. I grew up in a super small town, like 900, there's 900 people in the town. Wow. That's small. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was like a, a K through 12 school. So like the whole town was in, you know, all the school kids were in one building, oh, wow. kindergarten through senior year. So I went, you know, I graduated with a class of 43 kids wow. and um, <clears throat> like 35 out of the 43 had been there since kindergarten. Okay. So it was like, you know, it was very like different childhood than you normally like observe in your your average American life. But um, I appreciated it. I feel like our school, like they, because they knew you, you know, like mm-hmm. they knew us like all the way through. So that came with good and bad. Um, so it was really hard to like shake a reputation because um, you you know had no fresh start uh whatsoever you were um, like one and done right yeah <laughs> in terms of like accountability um it was really good because um observing some of the other like schools uh around like like they were very like this it was a public school but they were very like disciplined and um like it was high standards um, like, so I, my parents though, like the reason we grew up there, like my parents worked for a church, um, okay. and it was like outside the town a little bit. And so like, you know, grew up in like their church world, um, for a while. And, um, you know, I, I think over time, like, you know, I wanted to get out. I knew it, like, I didn't necessarily want to stay. Um, but I was in athletics and ran cross country track, um, was like super, uh, devoted runner for a long time and, uh, long distance running mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and, uh, oh, you would like this actually our high school had, we didn't, weren't big enough to have a football team. Mm-hmm. Cause like 
we were just so small. Like basketball our, was our thing, but we like made a a shirt as a joke, and it said like New Knoxville football undefeated since nineteen twenty four. I love so, it. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it was just a funny. It was a funny joke because like yeah. every other school in our conference had a football team, and but we just you know made a shirt saying, "Hey, we've never lost." So that's right. Never won um, either, but we never lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, yeah. So my my life oh. was like headed down a. Oh, sorry. No, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. Um. Yeah, I would say like I didn't have like a real like big direction in my life. I kind of like you know had my parents to look at and then my brother um to look at so I was wanting to like study exercise science in college just because I really liked running um and you know my dad uh was like if you want to go to college like I'm not going to sign on any student loans uh for you so you know you're gonna have to figure out a way to pay for it like if you want to go and you know because we didn't make a lot of money mm-hmm. growing up and uh so I like well I could join the army you know I, the recruiters like that was like kind of a way that a lot of um you know kids who maybe didn't have like a clear path like to they, you know career path they wanted to do or whatever so I uh yeah I was about a week away from swearing in to the army my senior year of high school and then um I called my wife like well this is like a funny story but because this is where my wife like kind of comes into the picture like my senior year and my but uh sorry this I feel like I go back to talk about the the prom (laughs) man I'm like all over the place this is funny um so this is your life we can go all we're good (laughs) (laughs) so you know what what this you know happening you know sort of in parallel but just a pertinent fact was um I met my now wife Bethany when I was 14 years old like we grew up in the same church and um but like her parents were doing um working for the church in different parts of the country mm-hmm. and they would come into the main location in Ohio and for conferences and whatnot mm-hmm. so we had we became really close friends you know throughout the years but nothing really romantic anything like that and then my our prom my senior prom was coming up mm-hmm. and I was gonna ask this girl uh, Becca to the prom and like I said I was telling you I ran track so my best friend Tim and I I drove Tim home from school every day and one of it was a Monday I remember from track practice we were driving home and he's like hey Johnny who are you gonna ask to prom it's like well I'm thinking about asking Becca and he's like oh cool you know nothing else happened and then this the weekend coming up there was a big like conference event with the church mm-hmm. coming up so a lot of people are coming in town 
in the on the weekend, but on Thursday night, like just for the people who lived there, they had an event. So me, Tim, and Becca are all hanging out like upstairs at the church. And and then I go downstairs because someone was calling my name and then come back up a few minutes later. Becca asked me, hey, who are you going to ask to prom? Like, or who are you going to go to prom with? Yeah, I kind of, you know, get a little nervous. I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, well, whoever you go with, like, just you should go with me and Tim to dinner and go go together. And I was like, I look, I like looked at Tim. I was like, oh, <laughs> betrayal. Um, no kidding. Yeah, it was just wow. like. Wow, snake that deal, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> So my brain is like racing, you know, to like, oh my gosh, like what am I gonna do? Like, yeah. you know, I didn't really have anyone else in mind. And like something I, I believe that it was like divine inspiration that mm-hmm. like Bethany popped into my head. Um, because there was no logical reason that I would think of her like with my senior prom. Like she was a few years older living on her own in North Carolina like you know states away I was like hmm maybe I'll just call her so then I called her and and we ended up hanging out that weekend Hmm. and it sparked you know something romantic and then from there I like stopped uh I called my recruiter in the army and said you know I really just want to like see where this goes mm-hmm. and uh and so I like backed out of swearing in mm-hmm. like I literally had my like swearing in the like scheduled mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and then I went on a missions trip for six months like after I graduated high school I went to Austin Texas after that um and that was like really the the main time in my life that I was like you know on my own in a sense Mm -hmm. um and then relationship with my wife uh progressed and we got engaged um the year I came back and then moved up to Rochester New York together and um lived there for five years and that's kind of where I like got into sales like you know more uh production oriented like income earning um and uh I worked in car sales for a couple years in Rochester and that was like really where I feel like I cut my teeth a lot in sales and then we moved out here in 2017 um and I worked in car sales for like six months and like hated it it was like very different being out here than uh in New York like in New York it was kind of more like small town like relational mm-hmm. I don't know if you can hear those dogs sorry there's like a oh, dog you're fine. you're fine don't worry about it <laughs> um but uh like out here it's just there's so many people that live here and right. you know something that it, it felt just like, you know, it's much more of a commodity um, rather than like where I came from, it was just much more service oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was only a couple dealers in town. And so like, you know, you really 
didn't have as many people just like shopping. So, um, you know, cutthroat, Mm -hmm. but, you know, so I, I gave myself a challenge of like, I want to, I want to just like be number one, you know, make prove to myself I can do it. So I was number one sales guy a couple months in a row, but just like burned out. I mean, it's like, it's really, it's a, it's a grind in the the car business. No, that was here in San Diego. Where were you when you were out here? Where where were you when you became number one? It was, uh, it was sales, like the car sales, like for, I worked for Honda. Okay. So that's like, um, which Honda dealer? Mossy in Lemon Grove. Okay. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's funny because now I drive by it every day yeah. when I go home from work. <laughs> we live in La Mesa now. Yeah. And um so the yeah, kind of the funny little story about how I got into real estate. And then, you know, it's it's a pretty easy summary after I got into real estate, but <laughs> the uh I quit like my wife. I, I was like really I would say depressed um, from like, you know, going at 8 a.m. to the dealership and, you know, you'd work till 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. There's called a bell shift, all the bell. But the thing is, is if you sold a car, you'd have to stay there till the, the customer leaves right. with their car. So, you know, if you sell a car at 7 or 7.30, even 8.30, you know, they're not... Yeah, like there was a lot of nights where I was there till like 11 or 12 p.m. And so, and then I'd have, you know, wake up at 6.37 the next day, do it again. Um, But I was, you know, my main motivation for wanting to stay was like, you know, to help my wife and I like be like financially secure moving to a new state. I wanted her to feel safe and and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I remember walking from work or walking past her in the bathroom one day. And it was like halfway through the month. Normally, and for context, normally halfway through the month, I have already sold like, you know, 12 to 14 cars, you know, at that point. And she, um, she was like, hey, like, you know, how, how are you doing? How? And I'm like, I'm okay. She's like, how, many, how many cars have you sold this month so far? I was like, two. And she she's like oh okay well you know have a good day and I remember like I said like a prayer in my head I was like I just want my wife like if my wife could like just feel com- comfortable with me leaving this mm-hmm. I would leave it in a heartbeat right but that was just in my head and then like 30 minutes you know I'm at work 30 minutes later she calls me she's like I feel like you should quit your job <laughs> and I was like Wow. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I wanted to make sure she would felt good. She right. felt comfortable. It's like, what's making you say that? And she's like, I just feel like you need, like you need to be like free of this. And, you know, this is a very unique thing. And I ended up quitting that day, which I'd never done before. Wow. Um, like I had always like, you know, stayed and, um, you know, really tried to learn and, and maximize in a place but it was like I didn't have anything else to go to so it's like you know we talked about it for you know half an hour just of like okay this is like what we're gonna do next and like we're gonna I'm gonna devote my time to like finding a job yeah so I quit and 
it was like oh it's kind of stressful and um I like applied to so many jobs I remember like I don't know if you know what zip recruiter is Mm -hmm. but like you can one click apply Mm -hmm. and like I literally applied to probably a hundred jobs just because you can like click 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 you know like let's just see what comes back right and uh, I found a couple like you know specifics I was like oh like this is interesting I had an interview at this like tech uh company and it was just doing like tech support stuff which I had done in the past and I remember uh I really liked it like I liked a lot of the things but it you know it's a very like modest salary it was like 40 grand a year um like not not much at all but like it in my like up until like moving here and like really like you know starting to like produce more like up until that point I'd only made like the most I made in a year was like $37,000 like my income yeah and you know I think I was 25 25 at the time and so you know they offered me 40 and I knew like that wasn't going to be able to go very far in San Diego but we had a great rental and like cheap rental and uh I was so desperate for like relief mm-hmm. too from this like nightmare, you know, schedule. Yeah. It was like nine to five. And I was like, ah, oh, like this would be great. And yeah, that'd be um, that'd be cruising. Yeah, like four 401k, PTO, you know, all this like stuff. And I remember like in the I went I, after the interview, I walked in the parking lot. I, I said another prayer. I was like, God, if this is not for me have them say no because if they say yes i'm gonna take this job right like i I, like if that's that's what i'm gonna do right (laughs) and um sure enough like a few days later they emailed me and said remove you know we chose someone else i was i was pretty disappointed i was like dang like what the heck so the next day though i get a call it's from this like real estate investment company. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we saw your application and we're interested in talking more. Like, I didn't, I'm like, ooh, I'm so sorry. Like, can you remind me? Because remember, I like applied to like so many jobs. <laughs> and, you know, they were like, hey, like you can, um, you know, this is a, what we do. First year associates make, you know, 50 to 60K a year. And, you know, by year two or three, you know, our associates, you know, can typically make, you know, two to $300,000 a year. Is that something wow, that, that would interest that got you? Your attention. That got your attention. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. Yes. I would be interested in that. <laughs> so, so I went, cool. I went in for an interview and, um, and then I did like a full day shadow with them. Mm-hmm. And they offered me a job, but I had to get my real estate license. And so yep. the next like four months, I like studied and took my, you know, waited to take my test. And that was like a really good like reset period in my life mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, like I'm like doing something different. Yeah. Like this is a career, like, right. you know, shift. And, you know, I was like, I was going all in. It was like, you know, full time and, um, you know, so that's kind of where I really learned this, this, you know, investment side of things. I got into, 
I started off in dispositions and then acquisitions, really just cut my teeth with like deal underwriting, mm -hmm. talking, you know, with sellers and agents and, and investors and, um, I did pretty well with the, the company. I, th I think when I left, I was number two in our office. And um, I remember one of the things that like, you know, stuck with me in terms of like, I was like, oh, maybe I'm like, I'm, maybe I'm kind of good at this. Like sometimes you don't know until mm -hmm. you like sometimes see like data in front of you. Mm -hmm. And uh one of the metrics, I don't know if you ever tracked this, but like the contract close ratio. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, you know, average KPI for that is 75%. You right. want to close, you know, three out of four contracts that you get. Right. And, you know, that was our goal too, as a company. And, you know, you go up the list, you know, there's the, all the reps are on the board. You got guys that like 40%. 45, 50, 55, 60. The second highest person on the list was like 69% close ratio. Yeah. And then I saw, you know, it was like me, number one at like 90, I think it was 97% close rate. I was oh, like, that's, that's big. Huh. <laughs> that, that is not like the rest. And mm -hmm. um, I just realized like my way of doing like business was just, you know, a little different, you know, it was much more like straightforward um, and transparent with people about the process, you know, about like, um, and people responded well to that. And, you know, I went on my own after uh, in 2020, you know, before in January of 2020, actually last, I resigned on January 31st, 2020. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good story too. I might as well just say that. <laughs> um, We're all well, about so so my wife, um, my wife's brother was telling me about his work. He works uh, for Dave Ramsey. Mm -hmm. You know, very you know, you either love him or you hate him. Yeah. Maybe you know, he's just a strong personality, strong yeah. like culture in his sphere. So mm -hmm. He has like an all hands meeting at his companies. And one of the things he says, because he's a, he's a Christian and he, but he tells him, he's like, hey, you don't have to work here to get to heaven. So like this, this job does not equal like spirituality, you know, in terms of like your goodness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then he says, if your spirit has left the building, please take your body with it. Right. He's like, I just, I need people here who are like in it. Yeah. And um so that was, you know, January twenty-fifth or whatever. Mm -hmm. January thirtieth, uh we have our first sonogram appointment because Bethany is pregnant with our our first child. Yeah. And uh I remember we you know you're like, you don't know what you're like, oh okay, this is like crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh they put the we're so excited. You know, they put the thing like on her, her stomach to, you know, to look for the baby. Mm -hmm. And then like, she like, she keeps looking, she keeps looking, she keeps looking. And then she's like, I'm going to go get the nurse, you know, or get like the doctor. And, uh, you know, so I just remember like, we just, we're both like, you know, looking at each other, like, 
oh god yeah i'm actually like feel i still remember like where i felt it the most i feel it actually right now yeah um but just this like pit and the doctor comes in she does it again and she just looks at us and it's like this is the least favorite part of my job mm. you know we just like sink yeah. and like you know she just tells us it's a uh, you know, it could be like a missed miscarriage, hmm. and um, right. and so we're just like crushed. Yeah. And they, by law, you know, they like scheduled a. Or I don't know if it's a law, honestly, but they scheduled like a confirmation appointment with a separate like sonogram place, just to like double check. Okay. Yeah, and um, I don't know that it's a law, but it's it's protocol. Yeah, like yeah. it made sense. You know, it's like. But we're just like, I remember like, just like crying like so hard and we were just like, um, you know, felt so empty and um, we- It's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah. We were looking up, like <laughs> she just was like, you know, we, I, I remember I got her Wendy's, you know, she's like, I just want Wendy's. Like, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, all right, let's get Wendy's. And then she took a nap and I just remember like looking on my phone of like I was like starting to look at these like grief like you know uh, things and forums and like reading through and I was reading about you know missed miscarriages and and I read different stories of like okay people like you know this and so I was like I didn't want to have like any hope because I just like didn't want to feel the same like loss again um so Bethany woke up and uh you know, we we're going to get Karen to go to a second appointment. And uh, I told her, I was like, listen, like, I just, I don't want to get our hopes up, but like, just, I think there might be like 5% chance, you know, like, but we were still like, just pretty, pretty uh, downtrodden. And we went to the appointment, um, you know, waited for the doctor and he put the thing, you know, on her, uh, her belly. Mm-hmm. and he he found it like two seconds in it's like boom, 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 boom. like found the heartbeat right away mm-hmm. he's like you know she was okay she was like perfectly healthy and um we were just like i so relieved and so like this and and the reason i tell that story is because like it that like I feel like that just like changed like there's certain things that happen in your life where you're just like you can't really go back to like who you've been Mm -hmm. like when you're just in you know such intense intensity you know of emotion where you really you really have to work to like you know navigate through like your 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 conscious thought and your your sanity to like really process like what is happening Mm -hmm. um and that was like one of those things and so actually the next day, keeping in mind, like what my brother-in-law had told me of like, if your spirit has left the building, like I was just checked out of this, this, uh, um, this first company. And so I quit the next day wow. to go on my own. And that was kind of really what spurred like this, you know, the journey of like doing, um, running my own business and, you know, I, I, put some deals together throughout 2020 mm-hmm. and our daughter was born 
uh, prematurely in 2020 mm -hmm. um, and like spent like 73 days in the NICU. That was another experience that's like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of really shapes you of just like, you know, having faith. I feel like that was like a season where I was like, I have like no control over like how this is like going to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, you know, we could either be like super anxious and afraid and, um, or have faith that this is like, she's going to be okay. healthy. Right. Um, cause there would be days where, you know, it's like, they always, they taught us, you know, two, they usually have two steps forward, one step back. They like mm -hmm. coach you with that, you know, so that when there is a setback, you know, she's like, you're watching, you know, your child like struggle to breathe or she just like can't eat and they have to just like pump, you know, a lot more like oxygen in. It's like, it's really hard to, to watch. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think it's just like having that long view of like faith and like being present, you know, to, if you can help, but it's like, you're kind of helpless in a sense mm -hmm. there. Um, well, you but do that was you like, you know, you, you do what you can. And, and as a man, you want to fix everything. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> yeah. you just can't, you know, there's, there's no way to fix this. All you can do is just be there and do what you can to support the people that are taking care of her and, you know, and do what you can to support your wife. Right. Yeah. And you just kind of just cling to each other and, and put one foot in front of the other, you know, people um, we've, we've experienced um, miscarriages too. And, um, you know, it, it never one where, where they went, where we got to sonogram stage and they, you know, couldn't find the baby. You know what I mean? Like we never experienced that part and that's gotta be, that's gotta be way more profound than what we experienced. But, you know, you, you, you want to, you want to try to fix it. You want to try to, you want to try to, to, to figure out a way to solve whatever this is. And there's just, there's no way to solve it. Right. All you can do is just kind of, and people have, people have, have expressed it that I've talked to have expressed it to me. You know, people talk about day to day, you know, day by day. Right. Um, this was like minute by minute, like yeah. time slows down and it's excruciating. Right. You just, you just do the best you can to keep processing, to keep moving forward, to keep, doing what you can do to, to try to get through it as a, as a couple, you know? Um, and it's, it's tough, man. It's tough. I feel uh, like the, I it was a really good, like test of different, like these concepts, you know, that we had learned, mm -hmm. uh, like from going through coaching and, you know, self development where it's like, you look at like, no one can control what happens to them. Right. Like in reality, the, the only thing we have control over is like what that means to us. Like how the, we react the, to it. Yeah. Yeah. The meaning that we assign to it mm -hmm. and like looking at like life, you know, doesn't happen to us, believing that it happens for us. Mm -hmm. And that was like kind of what we were, our attitude was even with like the NICU um, mm -hmm. situation. And so we just took that as like the, the blessing that it could be. Mm -hmm. And it turned out it, there was a lot of really cool things that happened inside of that because we were able to rest like because you go home. It's very weird like to go home and your child is like in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But 
again, not like resisting, like, because like the concept of resistance of what is, it creates suffering. Mm-hmm. And so we just didn't want to suffer inside of that. And so it's like, okay, there's, there's a, there's a point of acceptance of like the, the situation in the sense of like being able to look at it, like, how is this happening for us? Mm-hmm. And um, we were able to really recover. My wife was able to recover from, you know, a very traumatic uh, birth mm-hmm. and, you know, we were able to sleep <laughs> and, you know, I was still able to like, be like, you know, engage with certain things in my, my business to help you know, produce income. And another cool thing was like, the nurses taught us so much about like how to care for a child. Like, I feel like we got like almost this like world-class education for like two and a half months. Yeah. Like every day where you're, you know, a lot of parents, especially our friends now having kids they're they're in the hospital for, you know, a day or two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they might've taken some classes, you know, here or there before, Mm -hmm. but it's like, and then they're, sleep deprived and mm-hmm. you know like how you know trying to figure it out it's like it's rough and yeah, we we got this like blessing of like being able to like recover from that intense situation and um and like learn like i feel like we were just like so like well well trained by these these like nurses and um but uh the yeah, the uh, other cool, like, real, the transition in my career was, like, later that year. I remember I, you know, it's actually funny. It was uh, Brian um, mm-hmm. that this had to do with because he was, like, we were going to partner on a deal, and I had it all negotiated out. It was, like, it was a sick deal. It was in uh, normal heights, mm-hmm. and I think I had it negotiated for 470 mm-hmm. a detached house, and but there was a tenant and this was like, you know, COVID where you're like, I don't know. You know, I just felt scared like with that of like, um, not knowing what, you know, feeling a little uncertain. Brian. Very time, bud. Yeah. Very time. COVID, Brian actually COVID, gave created, me the, COVID created a, an atmosphere with regard to tenants and unlawful detainer and all that kind of thing that I hadn't seen in my entire career. And I've been doing this, coming up on in February, I'll have been doing this 32 years, which wow. is way too long, by the way. You should you should retire way sooner than this. Um, right. They should have put me out to pasture a long time ago. Um, but it was a scary time because COVID made and the shutdown and all that made our legislature go hard left, like hard left, to where they were so pro-tenant that they were almost militant against landlords. And the yeah. and the and the unlawful detainer courts didn't have a choice but to follow that. They had to follow the law that was created, right? So and the spirit of the law that was created. So yeah, um, yeah it's a that's a legitimate fear, man. It really is. Yeah, and like Brian actually gave me the the thumbs up to whatever I decided. He's like, "Hey, I I trust you. Whatever, whichever way you want to go, like we can go." And I was like, I know, I feel, I just, I backed out, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, and, and then they ended up selling it to the person in line behind us ended up buying it for like four, 
90, I think. And then like more than us, like we, and we, um, they wholesaled it for, for 540. Like they, they bought it and wholesaled it to someone else for 540, made 50 grand. And uh, that person, you know, flipped it and sold it in like the mid 700s. And I remember like, just like the pain of like observing that. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. Damn. And my wife she cool. called me out. She's like, you need to, like, you are good at this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to get over this like hump of like fear. Mm-hmm. And so then that's kind of where I really like turned it on. I was like, all right you know, gloves are off. Like we're going hard. And, now, and that's when on. I started. Oh, hold yeah. on real quick. I have to interrupt you. So, and we're going to go back a little bit if that's okay, but real quick, there was something that your wife said that was profound and you shared it with me. <clears throat> Pardon me. You shared it with me. And I can't remember what it was that she said, but there was something she said that was like, we never want to forget what it was that she actually said. Do you remember specifically what it was? Like in this conversation or other yeah. conversations we've had. Yeah, the one the, the one where she the one where she basically reset you. Because you and I ran into each other right after this happened. I don't know if you remember this, but we ran into each other right after this happened. And I was asking you about the baby, right? And yeah. I was asking you about your wife and how mama's doing and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, Well, let me tell you what she did the other day, or what she <laughs> said the other day, right? And he's like, and you're like, dude, it rocked my world. And I'm like, right? And you shared it with me and I'm going, wow. Like I didn't know your wife. I still don't know her that well, you know? Yeah. I had such unbelievable respect for her after you shared with me what she said. What was it? Do you remember? Uh, what, what is this podcast rated? Is it, can you, can you cuss on here? You can't cuss on here, so just just, <laughs> just use, use cleaner, use cleaner yeah, she, language that other than she was like, you essentially in a in a very like confront she was like like babe you gotta stop being a wussy you gotta that was it that was it it was it was something like it was something like well what are you gonna do about it or or something you know something it was something where she was just like and I don't want to say it this way, but it was almost like she was questioning your manhood kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and dude, I was like, this woman is world class, man. I I like her a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> it just That's one thing that I like. Team. You know what I mean? Because when you need that swift kick in the in the tuchus, right? She's there to deliver it. Right? <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what it was. It was something yeah, the, like, it was something like when are you gonna man up or I don't know something I, I forget exactly what it was, but whatever it was she said yeah. completely I mean I was like I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah, I'll have to ask her, but I, I, I like I can't honestly remember like what specifically it was, but I just remember it was like a very like Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, like you're you're playing a safe. Yeah. too much and you need to recognize like you are good at this mm-hmm. and you need to be able to like start trusting your judgment and um yeah that was kind of really where I started like being the uh, like a principal like an, yeah. an owner in in 
what I was doing and taking ownership and um it's that's uh it's interesting now because I'm like working with other people now mm-hmm. and um it's like having that same type of mindset of like, you know, I'm, I still like am taking ownership of the decisions I'm making, you know, but I have, you know, more baked in accountability um, inside that. But yeah, like, I feel like when you've put your money on the line, when you've like put your skin in the game and you've like recognized like where people's like different trepidations come in and you know their fears where they're bullish where they're bearish it's hard to relate to that unless you've had like something at stake right and like and that was your thing okay that was your thing you were trying to get over that hump and she recognized it right yeah she not only got you over that hump she stuck a stick of dynamite in your took us and lit it on fire and said here's some help (laughs) over the yeah. hump, right yeah oh man i mean i was i was thoroughly impressed with her i literally <laughs> walked away from that we walked a property you and i right yeah away from that going man this girl's this girl's a stud she is world class man so yeah don't yeah so you guys are a really good team yeah and she just is a big part of that team so it, it was it was cool. Okay, so I need to interrupt you for just a second. We're going to go back just a little bit with your permission. So I ask a few questions. Usually you were going on such a great I know, like, like role, you know, <laughs> but let me just ask you a couple of real quick things that I normally ask everybody, right? So what was your favorite thing about growing up in that tiny little 900, 900 number citizen um, town in Ohio? Huh. Man, my favorite thing. Right. I would say, like it. It sounds weird, but it was like a little bit of like the, the consistency in a okay. sense. Okay. Where like, you know, you kind of like grew up in the in the same environment, mm-hmm. which I appreciate now. I hated it then. Yeah. Um, but just to be able to have like a place like to where like you can almost like it never changes. Yeah, like so what was unique about the the church my parents raised us in, it was like it was a worldwide, you know, the thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to be exposed to like different like people coming in, mm-hmm. you know, to where like you know, even people in our town, like, didn't, you know, it's, like, getting to hang out, you know, with people from Africa and, you know, Brazil, Japan, and, and, you know, it was, like, so, I never went there, I never, like, really mm-hmm. traveled, it was just, like, oh, like, so I think in my head, like, I just had this, was able to have this, like, awareness of, like, I know I'm in this tiny place, I don't like it, but I understand that there's, like, a lot more out there, and I think I always like, so I appreciated that, you know, these mini like exposure things of just being able to be in a very like consistent and like you could say boring environment, but like knowing that there's like a lot, you know, more out there. So I think marrying that up, you know, with like my current self, 
mm-hmm. you know, of like, I like having a routine. I really like having, you know, consistent, like, thing. I like, you know, doing, you know, I, I live a rather contained life, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the sense. So, and I'm comfortable with that. Right. You know, I think because, you know, because like, I didn't really have a very, like, you know, interesting childhood um <laughs> in, in certain senses um but uh I, I think i appreciate that you know because that so who was the most influential person to you growing up and i don't i don't i mean I don't know like what it, it depends on what age <laughs> well just basically your childhood so growing up where you grew up who was the most influential person to you growing up so like when i i grew up in oklahoma right and from the time that i was brand new i was out on a farm with my grandparents and my 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 mom's parents my maternal grandparents um, and my grandfather by far was the most influential person in my life my parents had a role yeah. But nobody, nobody affected me the way my grandfather did. So that's what I'm asking. Is is there anybody that that sort of stuck out that was the most influential person to you growing up? Yeah, I, I would say, I guess the person that sticks out is like my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, she, like, we used to go visit her every year. We didn't spend like a ton of time with her, mm-hmm. but she was always such a big presence, like in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, and I didn't realize this until she passed away, but I I realized how impactful she was like to me because I was like going to visit her was like the time where I felt like the most like safe, the most like free, the most like seen in a way. And I think I just like really, like she just always built me, built me up. Like she, she was the person that was like always like just looking like into my like into my soul and and speaking um like you know identity of like this is like who you are this is your potential this is and you know you can hear it from your parents sometimes but like it's they have to discipline you know they discipline you too Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's uh I still have a few voicemails like saved from her Mm-hmm. you know that I just I cherished and like um but yeah that that's an interesting question because like I didn't yeah thank you for asking that because that actually is a good like reminder that's cool dude you're yeah. welcome so let me ask you another question so in high school what was your favorite subject I liked social studies a lot why I liked I think it just it liked enjoying, you know, learning about the dynamics of, you know, what led to certain historical events and, mm-hmm. you know, learning about civics and, um, like, history, geography. Like, I, I love the the different pieces that put together, like, how the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people connect to that in different ways. Like, some people, you know, might look at it through math or you know, mm-hmm. science, but I just liked the the people element of how they've influenced things for good and bad and um like 
Yeah. That's cool. So you, so your mission trip when you were gone for six months, was that, that was after you graduated high school? Mm-hmm. And yeah. was that in Austin? Were you in Austin for six months? Yeah. Okay. So what was your favorite thing about living in Austin? Um, Being on my own, like feeling like I'm not tied to my home, you know, hometown anymore. It's like, I'm like, kind of like, you know, there's some familiar elements, you know, it being in like a, a church type thing, mm-hmm. but it's like a new place. And, and I think I felt like, oh, there's like a lot of like, you know, potential here and like exciting things. And I think I started to really like, um, just get exposed to more like real life. So that was honestly my favorite thing, like out of all of it, um, like in, I lived with uh, the other people, like we lived in the same complex and just, we became like really tight friends. I think there was like eight of us, seven Mm -hmm. or eight of us. And it was like, it was like our posse. And uh, so it was like, it was cool. Like just being able to do that. But I would say the most thing that I like remember now is like being able to be on my own. (laughs) Yeah. So what made you move to Rochester? My, a woman, beautiful woman. Okay. (laughs) It It was my wife. Yeah. That we, I moved there two weeks before we got married wasn't she didn't she live in the carolinas or something yeah she she had she bounced around you know she like was born in florida raised in arizona moved to new york like upstate new york halfway through high school Mm -hmm. and then after high school moved to north carolina okay then a few years later moved back to upstate new york where her parents and brother were oh got it okay so she's um, there to be closer to family yeah. And okay. I was like, I, I don't need you to come here like to Ohio right. Right. because that's, uh, but like, she was actually thinking about moving to Austin for a bit, Okay, but then that fell through. And then I went back to Ohio. She went to New York and then we got married not soon, not long after. Mm-hmm. So so Rochester, you moved to Rochester. What made you get into car sales? I don't even remember. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that I tried to start a business. That's what I was doing. It was like 2015. And I actually worked for Bethany's brother for okay. a little over a year. And they were super small company and he ended up having to let me go. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I was like, what the heck am I going to do? But I'm like, I can start a business, you mm-hmm. know, and like coaching people and consulting, like looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I was like 23 years old mm-hmm. and like, I'm not taking advice from me. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't make any sales yeah. and I was like, I need a job. Yeah, you gotta go uh, do something new. I forget the She was a hair. She was a hairstylist. Oh, okay. She did that for ten years. Oh, that's um, so she she did pretty well with it. Mm-hmm. Um, did it for a few years out here, and uh, yeah, and then she stopped when our daughter was born. Mm-hmm. So stay at home mom. That's cool. 
That's cool. Okay. So you're in Rochester, New York. You're in car sales. What makes you come to San Diego? Well, her parents moved, so they were no longer there. Her brother was, they were planning to move to Nashville. Um, and so we we're like, man, like, Everybody's we didn't like, have like, yeah, we didn't have any like roots anywhere. Like, right. I was, you know, I was properly like from Ohio, but we never wanted to, you know, move back there. Right. And her parents like weren't really super set anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're like, where do, where do we you know want to go? Mm-hmm. We went to, uh, she grew up in Tucson, like mainly. That's like okay. where the bulk of her growing up was. Okay. And their family's best friends lived in Vista. Oh, okay. So they would come out here as kids. And so she was, she'd been to San Diego, you know, and, and always liked it. She always had this like kind of dream in the back of her head that she would like end up in San Diego. Hmm. And, you know, she didn't really think about it much. I didn't know this. And uh, we went on a trip in 2015 mm-hmm. and she's like, Hey, like, what would you think about moving to San Diego? I was like, no that's are, are you serious like i was like it's expensive there's high taxes there's fires and there's earthquakes like are are you stupid like yeah. I, it just, like it was just are you I, feeling okay are you having, yeah. are you, you have a fever yeah like it just had never like even crossed my mind i was like why like that doesn't even make sense so we came out here and I had my guards up a little bit but we like I was telling you earlier I was super into cross country and Balboa Park has the Foot Locker National Cross Country Championships every year oh wow and so I watched it like I, I was just I watched it every year and I remember being like, I want to find like where like the course is. Wow. And so I ran there like from our Airbnb and I like, I found it right away. I was like, Oh my God, this is the hill. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the hill. Like, you know, and Famous hill. Like, Oh my God. Like I'm, I'm running like on the course mm-hmm. and I ran down the, like the Florida street that kind of is like the, north south like street that divides like the zoo and like the more park side it's like all these like trails and i was like what is this place like it was just so beautiful i remember like getting to the top of the the canyon and just like looking out over the sunrise i was like i can't believe it like it just yeah this was march and like i we had literally had our winter coats on, you know, mm-hmm. flying there. Mm-hmm. And I came back, by the way, I was not in shape at this, you know, this, the time of this run. Mm-hmm. I was gone for like two hours. So Bethany's like, where is he? Yeah, she thought you'd fall off. A and, or yeah. And I came back. I was like, oh. yeah. she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I love it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, so we uh like i think we just like saw uh like a potential you know life and you know not only like joy but just like you know building a life and it was something that like we both like wanted to do and and decided to do so we worked for we like paid off all of our debt 
over the next like year, mm-hmm. saved up some money and then uh, made the move. So, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so what made you decide that you were going to leave the company in January of 2020? You you left, right? What made you decide that you were going to start your own company? I think uh, to be totally frank, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I really okay. like. You just had kind of had it and you were going to yeah. get out of that toxic environment and okay. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I remember just being like, I'm not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I knew how to like get deals and, you know, underwrite them. And I had, you know, a network of, of different buyers to give the deals to, but uh, it was funny because my DocuSign was actually still attached to my email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I asked the the old uh, broker for, you know, like, Hey, can you like send this you know, code to me so I can like just change my email and then he's like, yeah, sure. He like went in there. He's like, what the heck is, this? you know, what is this? Like, you know, he found this like contract and he like threatened to sue me of like that. I was like doing similar work. Oh. Um, and so that was like, I was like, oh, fuck. like I got to like figure out like, you know, how to do it. So that kind of shook me up for a bit because I was really worried. He was like threatening to take away my license and, and, you know, sue me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, like. And that's actually when I like started I was like maybe I like should be an agent too to like represent some some friends or different people who were looking at buying or selling. Mm-hmm. And so that that was good in that sense of like being able to develop that like skill. Because mm-hmm. um, it was never like my desire or forte. I'm still like not it's not my like main focus, but I, I really am glad I like developed that almost by necessity (laughs) because uh I felt just very like I needed to let that situation cool down um because I didn't want like to just be like um not able to do work in town you didn't want to you don't want to aggravate it so yeah I just instead of stirring it up just go somewhere else do something else and let it calm down yeah Yeah, that's yeah actually the Man, you're asking great questions because I'm like remembering all these things of like the <laughs> what really spurred it to where I was like, I'm gonna start like, you know, my own business was like actually when my no, it was actually when my grandma was um in an accident that put her into like you know, kind of a intensive care like facility. She was living on her own before, living very modestly, low expenses. And then she had an incident happen. And then her expenses went up to like 5,000 a month. Hmm. She was like, you know, she she had some money you know, from the sale of uh, her home. And, but that was it. It was just like cash, like, you know, going down. And my dad was her like a uh, trustee, mm-hmm. like to, you know, make sure that, or administrator, whatever, for her funds to make sure it was like, you know, she had enough and all that and he just you know told me he's like johnny like she's gonna run out of money like in like nine months like because i was just asking you know i i I always wanted to like understand like where are you guys at like where's where's you know grandma like how are things Mm -hmm. um 
and he's and I was like, what are you gonna do? Like, he's like, well, like they're like, how's she gonna do it? She's like, well, like we would have to support her, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, what does that look like? And he's like, I I don't know. Like, I don't even know if we can. And I think in that moment, I just got like so like angry, but like a righteous anger of like, this isn't like right. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to do something about this mm-hmm. and like to be able to really create wealth. And so like, I, I had this like vision of like this five generations of wealth of like me being the center, like zero generation, mm-hmm. then my parents, grandparents, children, grandchildren. And so five generations of wealth. And so like all of my like entities now and like, holding companies and LLCs, they're all like around that concept of five generations. So that's cool, dude. That would that was honestly the biggest spark of mm-hmm. like really owning businesses, owning and creating wealth was like that that conversation with my dad that just like it broke my heart. And I feel like that's a way that like I've recognized like whenever you're like people don't know you know when or how inspiration comes and it's usually not usually from like super positive experiences it's like when stuff like can break you mm-hmm. and you you decide what it means mm-hmm. and you know and to be able to transform that energy and push it out into something that's super powerful and so like these different experiences that you know I've, I've shared it's like they, they they've all like transformed me in, in certain ways and that one in particular I would say like was when my mind really started shifting toward and to wealth and ownership more so than just like income and you know making you know deals and and um like that has its place inside of you know that's a very necessary skill um and I'm like so grateful I like r- learned how to do that Mm-hmm. Um, and I can pull that together and like what I'm trying to build now. Yeah, it's cool. So it's, it's another example of life happening for you, right? Yeah. Right. So I, you mind if I share something with you? Please. So I, I truly with every fiber of my being believe that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Okay. And when we have tribulations, when we have trials in our lives, it's happening for us so that we can be prepared one of these days to come alongside somebody who needs, who's going through something similar and needs your counsel. Okay. So I truly believe you're being prepared to be able to help others. Kind of like when you started your coaching business at 23 and you weren't going to take advice from yourself. (laughs) Yeah. But but now you're in a place where you're learning and you're growing, right? And you're, I believe you're being prepared to be able to help people, coach them, mentor them, whatever. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to encourage you. My entire, my entire life has been a series of people that didn't have the time and didn't necessarily have to do what they did, but they stopped and they, they, they paid it forward. Okay. They sat with me and said, you know, you're going at this the wrong way. You know, instead of going this way, go, go this way. Right. 
Um, and I try to, I try to give them credit, you know, like one of the things that I do is I try to tell people stories of these people that, you know, a lot of them are not here anymore. A lot of them are have passed on, but they helped me in ways that are, that, that are just amazing. Like the very first person we interviewed for this podcast, and we're now 66 episodes or 67 episodes in something like that. The very first person we interviewed way back when, right? A couple of months ago, um, had changed my life for the better on several occasions. <clears throat> and he didn't even know it. He had no idea. January of 2000, he was at a dinner that we went to every year that the Building Industry Association did called the Bull and the Bear. And he was the bull and there was a bear. And the bear would always tell you how bad everything was going to be that year. And the bull would tell you, bless his heart, how awesome everything was going to be that year, right? And these two never agreed on anything, okay? Including, wow. including the color of the sky, okay? I mean, they just didn't agree on anything except this, this one thing at this dinner for the first time ever, they agreed, the two of them, that were running out of preventable land in San Diego County. And at the time, I had a baby that wasn't quite two years old yet at home. And I had another one on the way that, as we know now, was, was born June 16th of 2000. And, you know, she's now 23 and he's 25, right? All that time ago, Alan changed my life because I was sitting in that audience and 100% of my business, I was the sole support for my family, 100% of my business was builder. Hmm. And all of a sudden, this, this, this industry that I'm 100% involved in, and I was doing really well, is going away. And I got a chill from head to toe. And I knew I had to, I had to go to work. When I walked out of there, I needed to go diversify. Within 12 months, we had started a Keller Williams franchise in Escondido which we owned for 18 years, okay? Which was our way, my way of, of diversifying. Didn't necessarily mean that I had to go out and start a real estate brokerage, but I had the opportunity and I took it, right? Yeah. Part of the reason I took it was because of Alan, was because of, of his words, okay? And, you know, he wrote a book in 2000 and published it in 2017 called The Great Divide, which talks yeah. about the fact that we're in the single greatest transfer of wealth right now in our nation's history. There's some $98 trillion that's being transferred from baby boomers to their millennial kids and grandkids right now. Wow. We're in the middle of it, okay? And that wealth that's being transferred, 90% of it's real estate, and the millennials don't want it. They don't want it, mm -hmm. okay? So I'm taking it on myself starting January of next year, so here in a couple of months, I'm going to start writing a book with a ghostwriter that I've identified on home ownership. And we're mm -hmm. going to take the case directly to millennials as to why home ownership needs to be part of the American dream again. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm just crazy enough to think that I can drive a national narrative, right? So you're participating in the platform that I believe is going to help put me on a national profile eventually, right? And that will help us promote the book and that'll help us drive that national narrative. So if you're okay with it, one of the things I'd like to do is when we when we get into the meat and potatoes of writing the book, I'd like to interview you if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. That I have highlighted on my list of people that I want to contribute to the book, if that's okay. Yeah. So um, that would be awesome if you if you'd be up for that. So um, 
So I am a millennial and I, know, I am a I know. homeowner. I know. And uh, I know. Well, you're a millennial, you're a homeowner, and you're an investor. Yeah. Right? And that's something that we need to talk about in terms of and, and and here's the thing. Millennials have PTSD from the Great Great Recession. Okay. When they were children, they watched all the people around them that they loved dearly, their teachers, their, you know, the people that went to their church, their best friends, parents, uh, their, you know, their their family members, people they loved, lost their homes to foreclosure. Okay. And a lot of them lost their homes to foreclosure on very interesting circumstances, okay? Some of them were flat out lied to, defrauded, the whole thing. And so millennials have this sort of opinion of, of real estate, they don't trust it. So yeah. the whole idea behind this book is we're literally gonna break down homeownership and show them that, look, even if you buy a home tomorrow, there are gonna be things that are gonna happen. Life's gonna throw you curveballs, okay? And no matter what the curveball is, here's how you deal with it. So we're going to talk about bankruptcy. We're going to talk about foreclosure. We're going to talk about short sales. We're going to talk about deed in lieu thereof. We're going to talk about all of those things that are potential remedies for somebody who is in trouble with their with their home loan. Okay. Yeah. Because that's that, you know, millennials fear what they don't know the most. Okay. And so that's why we're that's why we're writing this. We're going to talk about FICO scores. We're going to talk about how to qualify for a loan. We're going to talk about their different options to qualify for a home loan, right? Different things that can be done where their family can get involved, that kind of thing. We're going to take my 31 plus years experience and we're going to throw it into this book. It'll probably yeah. be 800 pages, but we're going to throw it into this book. So um, I'm joking. It can't be, it can't be 800 pages. But we so far, I've got it outlined. We've got twenty five chapters, so um, so we'll we'll see we'll Just see how keep it to seven fifty, and you know yeah, keep it seven fifty, wow. right? <laughs> It'll keep people's attention, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'd love to have you be a part of it. So um, that's that's awesome. So so we're up to today. You currently are are buying homes, fixing them up, and flipping them, right? And then you're also. You're also in development now. You're actually, we were, you were sharing with me the other day that you guys are buying property and you're actually going in and adding units to it, that kind of thing. Um, in fact, you have one right now that you can add some ADUs to, uh, which are auxiliary um, dwelling units uh, for people that don't know what the what yeah. ADU is. Um, talk a little bit about where you are now. So you've, we've gone through the sort of the progression, if you will, up to today. Um, talk a little bit about what you're doing. So, um, the, yeah, I'm in like small urban infill development mm -hmm. in San Diego specifically right now. Like it's, uh, it's kind of the wild, wild west, like truthfully, because San Diego, like a lot of metropolitan areas really sparked by the great recession. Mm -hmm. Um, that just eliminated so much like building new building that, you know, if you, if you think about it, that we have to build like more and more homes and places for people to live every year um, because we have, we're getting more people, you know, the, the population is, is still, you know, currently growing. Um, but like we're about, we've been behind, I think it was like 13 years in a row. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's like, we're such, at such a deficit of, 
of housing that it it's unfortunate you know that with the laws of supply and demand your demand is you know, steadily increasing in general mm-hmm. um and you know but your supply is not keeping up and so it's just this created this massive chasm um and especially in like growing places like there are places that are declining in population those are you know not necessarily the best places to invest but san diego a lot of the sun belt uh states and cities they're they're growing Mm -hmm. and there's jobs coming and so the the opportunity is just like so ripe it's actually a big like like angst point you know for you know for me so when this opportunity came for me to like really get dive into the space my bethany pointed it out she's like you know you've always really cared about this like this like whole like you know housing like supply and and whatever he's like and she's like and now you're like in it you're doing it and i was like wow like that's crazy you know it's just like it wasn't the like intention in you know on the surface of like how this came to be um but yeah like we're san diego specifically like the city of san diego is like super bullish on like getting housing units built and so they um started off with an overlay uh, a couple years ago the, the transit priority area like you could build unlimited adus and so whatever your zoning uh, floor area ratio was like, which is how much like square feet of livable space you can build on a lot. Normally you're limited to like just the, the, the you know, the base zoning. So if you're like single family home zoning, you can only have one house, right. one dwelling unit, but then the ADUs laws came into play, you know, five or so years ago. And then every detached house could have one ADU. Mm-hmm. And then San Diego just came in and then JADUs, you know, came in. Those aren't as like useful for investors because you have to be like owner occupied on them. Mm-hmm. But San Diego came in and was like, hey, okay, yeah, you get your you know main dwelling unit, then your one ADU by right. But you know that you might only have like 1,500, 2,000 square feet of like built square footage mm-hmm. and they're like listen let's say your floor area ratio of like buildable square footage was five thousand so you have three thousand more square feet mm-hmm. and they said hey you throw us a bone we'll throw you a bone for every affordable unit that you build we'll we'll give you a bonus unit up to your max far so if we're building you know 400 square foot one ones mm-hmm. um I should have done easier math, but like, you know, if it's 3000 square feet, you know, that's an extra seven, seven units, you know, uh, that you can build mm-hmm. like on that lot, you know, where it's like, might've just been a single family home before. And then now it can turn into, um, well, the ADU by right. And then the seven additional. So like that's eight, eight units. No, sorry. Jesus, nine units. Nine like that. Years, oh, yeah. So the main <laughs> and, house, um, the ADU, and then the seven additional. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you, there's a lot of freedom and flexibility of like, you can technically have ADUs as small as 150 square feet. Wow. 
but discretion is also very you know important in this it's Mm -hmm. to look at what the the market is demanding in certain areas like there's some areas where it makes sense to build three twos Mm -hmm. um and then others where it's like it might be a more like blue collar neighborhood where it's like it's it's a work you know workforce that you know is mainly out um you know and the the turnover can be a little higher so they just studios or one bedrooms um work better so it's a little bit of an art in that sense of like picking the right you know unit mix so like there's there's always the balance of like can versus should Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the fun like dance we did we do with uh figuring out because like some of the stuff we spec'd out it's like hey we think building six units is the right play here like why not more because you can't i mean if you do nine we could do ten it's like it's just it, it making sure that there's like some space mm-hmm. you know for like amenities and you know not changing the you know the dynamics of the neighborhood too much because like this is like newer mm-hmm. and so if you're doing it in areas that don't really have multifamily yet you kind of got to like play that you know uh the the dance, you know, to make sure you don't upset the balance of the neighborhood too much. Well, um, you want to over-improve that particular piece of property versus the other properties that are in the area, right? So yeah, just like comparables, like when you're flipping, like you don't want to like make something that nobody wants. Right. And so you kind of have to like use use the discretion in that sense. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 really fun. And it's like the one of the things is like the that the the owner um that I work with myself and Brian and and this guy like we he's like a lot of times the difficulty of the project is directly related to the you know the the yield mm-hmm. on it and so development is hard mm-hmm. like it's it's very confusing it's expensive it's time consuming um and but it's in in one sense it's simple mm-hmm. because, you know the same ingredients you know are at play and you just have to be a lot more um I I forget like the your due dil- you know due diligence is a very big deal mm-hmm. like, with this stuff it'd be more um, disciplined. Yeah, 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 like and diligent uh, to to look at all the different things and detail oriented, um, yeah, that kind of thing. But it can be like extremely rewarding um, for a lot of different reasons for for cash flow for uh, you know the equity that you're creating, mm-hmm. your ta- you know tax uh, op- benefits and opportunities there, um, and so in a place like San Diego where there's not a ton of like not really many many places to go mm-hmm. like can't like got the mountains the ocean camp pendleton mexico and so it's like okay like you gotta increase density and that's what the city you know has put the green light on um and so the yeah it's it's a very like exciting thing that we're like we're starting to do and um because the the company that 
you know, I'm doing this with and helping, you know, spearhead this like new development and acquisitions efforts for is like they've, they do design and permitting and they've done like, you know, close to 2000 doors mm-hmm. permitted, I think over 500 projects. And so in that sense, like there's a, there's a lot of proof of concept there. And then it's like, okay, you know, putting that, you know, developer hat on um, for us is like a fun challenge. So yeah. it's a yeah. learning experience too, right? Yeah. So you're getting a great education. Yeah. I'm like, it's very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really, I like it. Like, it's almost like, you know, we hit a roadblock and it's like kind of defeating for, you know, a little bit and you're like, dang, you know, disappointed and, you know, or frustrated. And then like, uh, but you're like, wait, you know, we're going to like fail forward here. <laughs> that's yeah. like, I feel like that's what a lot of it is. It's like, um, you, you know, cause the little things like swing these projects, you know, a lot, you know, in, especially if like it changes what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's also cool because of, because they're so big projects, like if you have, you know, a, a, a change order, you know, come up, you know, where it's like, oh, well, you gotta like do a new water line upgrade or, you know, do this, you know, different thing. And it's like, 50 grand where that might like totally kill a flip mm-hmm. and you're like i'm losing money but like on on these it, there's so much margin you know that's going getting created it's like this sucks but it doesn't kill it yeah the, you know the end is is worth it that's why the upfront due diligence is so important because you, right. you're trying to sniff you know as many of these out and put in like certain redu- redundancies in your underwriting and contingencies of like okay like we're putting you know 10 15 contingency for unknowns and you just bake it in because you can start to learn like oh like we we got this uh one under contract it was like sixteen thousand square foot lot and it was uh rm11 zoning and we're like oh cool so if you can build three the the base far for rm11 is 0.75 and if you build three units, like three actual dwelling units, you get bumped up to 1.0 FAR. Okay. So, but then if you build, I think it's five or eight. I feel like it's like eight. I don't know, Brian is like the guy who like really knows this stuff, but mm-hmm. we were able to figure it out how to like get it up to this benchmark to where we had it bumped up again to 1.25 FAR. So now it's like we could build 20,000, over 20,000 square feet of livable square footage. And we're like, holy crap, you know, we had a perfect lot. Yeah. So we had, you know, we're like, we can do like 34 units here. And uh, so this is where the pain comes in. You know, we like find out like this is, it's in a floodplain. Like, oh man, like, you know, learning of like, Dang, like this can be a project killer because like it can, you know, potentially uh change it in a like discretionary permit. Mm-hmm. It's a city, like if you're changing the impervious parts of that that lot, you know, they might make you do so much like stormwater management and it might just throw the whole project off. Or they might even say, like, hey, like you can't do this. Like mm-hmm. we're not gonna let you like 
move this dirt, you know, that much. And so it's like, uh, but now it's in our process. So that's the whole failing forward part, <laughs> like check floodplain, yeah. like every, every deal now. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's just, a, it's just, you're just developing as you go. You're learning and, and getting better and failing forward. Like you said. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, buddy. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Well, for the sake of time, I, uh, I'm like, I want, I want my, I'm itching to just ask you like all about like your, you know, what you're doing in your life. Um, but, uh, I don't know how long these episodes normally are, but maybe we could just like have another phone, call, just you and me and, and catch up. But, um, what, what do you feel like you're like, I mean, this seems like this podcast is like, you know, big, you know, undertaking of yours to really like get a lot of stuff you know gathered and put out but like what do you what's like how does this fit into like the bigger picture and what's your like your kind of big what's your big focus right now so my big thing is this first book um the homeownership book and the reason why it's a big thing to me is um you know i've been i've been promoting homeownership for 30 plus years right and 31 plus and and I believe that if I can attain a large enough national profile, okay, um, I believe I can drive a narrative where millennials, where I can reach millennials and I can convince them and their parents, right, that the American dream, part of the American dream needs to be home ownership again, mm. okay? Um, we're we're literally raising a generation of renters, okay? And according to the National Association of Realtors, the average the average net worth of a homeowner is over three hundred thousand dollars. The average net worth of a tenant is less than eight thousand. So if you take that two hundred ninety two thousand dollars delta per person times tens of millions of millennials, okay, you're we're, we now have a major chasm. And considering that 74% of this nation's net worth is real estate, our standard of living now and in the future is potentially injured if we don't get back to where millennials understand that homeownership, how important homeownership is. Homeownership creates, and you know this, creates stability. It creates, um, it creates futures for children um, that renting doesn't renting and they've done a bunch of studies on this and the psychological effects of being a tenant versus being an owner of a home has an effect on the children okay and so i am hugely passionate about home ownership and the benefits of it and i'm also hugely passionate now that i'm a dad of a 23 and a 25 year old i want to leave this world a better place than we found it mm -hmm. Okay, so we're we're writing a book on homeownership. The next book after that's going to be a, a book for realtors on how to succeed in real estate. Mm. The next book after that is going to be on real estate investing. And we're going to be knocking on your door again to interview you for that book. Okay, <laughs> so but but all of them are about doing it the right way. We're not cutting corners. We're not using the word hack. We're not doing all the things that 
are clickbait now. We're not doing that. What we're doing is literally coming at this the way I operate. And if you know me, you know I'm not a clickbait person. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not that exciting. Okay. I'm very boring. I am somebody who believes in doing it the right way. It's black or it's white. It's right or it's wrong. There are no shades of gray in my world, the way I look at it. Okay. By the way, my grandfather was the exact same way. And I believe that I can have an impact. I believe we can all have an impact. And I believe that part of that, having that impact is us, is our having collectively a larger vision. Mm. Okay. Because I don't believe that the millennial generation has leadership right now. I don't believe that a lot of people in our country and around the world have leadership. So I sat with, with Alan Nevin, I told you, you know, a couple of months ago, maybe three months ago now, to do our first interview for our podcast. And I met him at his home in, in Rancho Penasquitas, and we interviewed him on his back patio because that's his that's his happy place, okay? And one of the things that he told me before we hit record was he said, I wish you knew how perfect your timing is. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, in the last three years, over a billion people have gained internet access worldwide. And he said, and in the next three years, it's estimated there will be another billion. Okay. So in the in six years time, okay, there's going to be two billion people estimated that will gain internet access. And I, I said, why do you think that's important? He said, well, because that's where they get their podcast, Mike. That's where they get their YouTube. Okay. And so my feeling is we're at the right time. We're doing the right thing at the right time, okay? Yeah. And I believe that we can teach and lead in a way that is honest, that's forthright, that's truthful, that is wholesome, that isn't about shortcuts, right? One of the reasons we're writing the Realtor book is because I've I've gone numb listening to all the shortcuts and all the hacks and all the things that you do to trick people. I don't, I don't, it's not how I roll. Yeah. I've never rolled that way. And maybe that, maybe that book doesn't sell so well. Okay. But it's going to be me. It's going to be my Midwestern values. It's going to be the way I was raised on a farm in Oklahoma. Okay. It's going to be, this is, this is my view of the world. This is my view of real estate. This is my view of homeownership. And so that's where all this is going. The podcast, the YouTube channels, the books, everything we're doing is designed specifically to build this, this profile, right? To where we have a national voice and that national voice we're going to use for good. And I'll give you an example, if you don't mind. I was yeah. watching a national a national interview the other day on a national news station. Um, one of the one of the most popular news channels on the planet and they interviewed a realtor and that realtor got on that program and said that it's impossible it's impossible right now for first-time home buyers to buy a house that's not factually correct okay and not only did they say that they also said that inventory is so low that it's almost impossible for anybody to buy a house that's not factually correct. Plus, 
that person who supposedly is an expert in our industry gave absolutely no solution whatsoever, no potential fix, no nothing, no way for people to be able to reach out to their local real estate professional and say, hey, talk to me about a 2-1 buy down. Talk to me about an FHA mortgage where I don't have to bring, I don't have to put anything down. All of the down payment, all the closing costs, all the reserves can all be a gift. Talk to me about an FHA loan where I don't have to come out of pocket one dime and my parents can co-sign with me or my aunt and uncle can co-sign with me. Okay. These are all things that nobody talks about. Nobody, nobody, and, and I'm not talking about absolutely, you know, I'm just saying I watch too much of this and it frustrates yeah. me. Because, the public narrative is well, it's 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 the whining thing. Okay, we we get on we get on national television, we whine about how terrible everything is, because if it bleeds, it leads, right? That's not how I roll. Okay, it might be that we're in a shift in the market right now, but I got news for you. Right now, we have inventory that that's thirty four days. Okay, there was a time when we had inventory for eight months, and I was in that market. Okay, here in San Diego. Yeah. We were in a honest to goodness real estate depression here. What we have right now isn't even remotely close to what that is. But the people they're interviewing, Johnny, have been in the business four minutes. Okay, or four years. They yeah. haven't known anything but the current market. Right. So when the recession, when people were talking about a recession and they were talking about the market shifting, they were talking about all these other things, I wasn't getting excited about it. I've been through some humdingers, right? And I not only survived, I thrived. And I've been active every single day for 31 plus years. The only reason I've been able to do that is because I just keep going. I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, right? And I focus on what I'm supposed to be focused on. So that's what this is about. I hope that's that awesome. Happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd love to have yeah. you be a part of it. So yeah, big fan here. <laughs> I think it's like having genuine like growth. Yeah. Like you're not going to shortcut it. Like it's like stacking things. Yeah. Like, and it the same it eventually... old values that you grew up with is exactly what we're putting in these books. Okay. Yeah. Exactly what we're putting in these podcast episodes. It's important to me, vitally important to me, that we leave a legacy, that we leave something and we leave this world a better place than where we found it. Yeah. Okay. And if you have a chance, read Alan's book. It's It, the, it just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called The Next Half Century. Mm -hmm. I've read it because I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago um, on this podcast regarding that book. And I think it should be required reading for anybody in business. Um, it's called The Next Half Century. And what it talks about is it talks about what the world is going to look like. He goes, he goes into Japan He's talking about Korea. He's talking about Vietnam. He's talking about China. He's talking about he's talking about um, the uh, Russia. He's talking about the European Union. He talks about California. Okay. He talks about you know the the Sun Belt and the the you know Texas and and Florida. Um, mm -hmm. The other book that I think is is required reading is The Great Divide, which he wrote and published in 2017. Um, and you were talking about how we're we're short on inventory here. One of the things that um, that Alan shared with us years ago on my radio shows was if if we don't add another person in San Diego County, then we then we then leaves right. If we don't, if all that stays constant, we still need in in terms of of 
of organic growth, we still need 12,500 new units sold every single month, every single year. We have not done that since 2000, since before 2008. We've not reached that number. Okay. Yeah. Now it's because of the NIMBY thing, you know, not in my backyard. It's because of the Sierra Club. It's because of all these, you know, environmentalists and all these other things, right? Anti-growth, all that. But it's also because we have had municipalities that make developing hard. They may have made developing here hard. Okay. Yeah. And they've made it prohibitive in terms of regulation, approvals, mitigation, entitlements, everything. They've made it prohibitive here. Okay. So I don't know if you know who Corky McMillan is, but Corky McMillan was, yeah. was famously a native San Diegan. Okay. And Corky McMillan built up the McMillan, the Corky McMillan Development Company. Um, and he also built up Corky, or McMillan Realty. Okay. And right after he passed away, his grown children that had taken over the company moved the headquarters of the company from Chula Vista, California to San Antonio, Texas. Wow. This is an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. You start looking at the world headquarters of some of these really, really major builders. Lennar is one of the largest. They're based yeah. out of Tampa. Okay. We they we used to have home builders that were based out of California. They're not anymore. There's a reason. Okay. And so I feel like we need to have an open conversation and a candid conversation about what's happening here and why, and then figure out some sort of real world solution for it. ADUs are a great idea and it's a, it's a great opportunity right now. And I'm glad you're taking advantage of it. I don't think it's the long-term fix. No, I think it's like, I think it's really like a five year, like there's about a five year horizon on it. It's like a band-aid um, on a hemorrhage is what it is. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. But something had to happen. Something had to give. Okay. And so, you know, we got to get this thing figured out. And in that book, the the next the next half century, in that book, he talks about the fact that, that California's top grading. A lot of our lower income citizens are are moving from here and they're going to Texas and Florida and that kind of thing. And we're bringing in PhDs, MBAs, right? We're JDs. We're bringing in these these people that have these you know monstrous um, educational backgrounds. The challenge is we're out we're out pricing the people who need to do the work for us. We're out pricing the cooks. We're out pricing the 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 yeah. bus bus staff. We're you know we're out pricing the people that we need here to function as a society. There's more venture capital. This is in the book too. There's more venture capital coming into California right now than any other place in the in the United States. Okay? That's a big big deal. There's more opportunity here is what he's saying, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also a situation where we're losing we're losing people that are essential. So there um, there's a you you would actually like this uh statistic, but there was a you know decade long case study of San Francisco. San Francisco is kind of a a fortunate case study of affordability and really pushing out the middle class. Um, you know, cause the middle class, like essentially they have the option to leave, like they have the means to leave, you know, some marketable skill sets to, to be able to go. But, you know, you have your, uh, the, the lower class that they're really tied, you know, geographically to wherever they are. 
And then you have this, this upper class that's kind of like moving in. But it was an interesting statistic that they talked about of, um, they looked at when, when this tech boom really started to come into play, like, you know, out of the great recession, mm -hmm. um, San Francisco. Okay. Well, so the statistic of what is the proper rate of growth between jobs added and housing units built mm -hmm. it was for every one and a half jobs that an economy adds, you should provide a housing unit, a new housing unit should be there. Mm -hmm. San Francisco had a decade long run of adding eight jobs for every one new housing unit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, you look at it, you know, like this of like, it's just imbalance, yeah. and, and so that's where kind of this, you know, EDU uh, thing, it, it's, it's kind of making up for, you know, this, this lost time in a sense. Um, but I, yeah, I'm curious, like, what that like equilibrium can look like because it's like uh bureaucracy is honest is like the biggest challenge and what's crazy is like a lot of times bureaucracy like you look the people like in the face and it's like there's no malice like in their bones it's just like it just is what it is like you know that the tower things go and it's just very difficult for no reason mm -hmm. and uh that's like what's you know kind of infuriating but it's also like can be encouraging in in a certain way um to where like there's there's opportunity for addressing the problem and tackling it and, and pushing through um i think that's the big thing of like being able to set yourself up like with the people you know that you're with your capital situation and like to be able to actually like be able to see things through to tackle a problem and so that's kind of what we're, you know, looking at. We're like, we're looking at this like three year, five year horizon and even like a 10 year, like big, big goal. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's just of what we, you know, the dent that we're going to, we're trying to make. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the aspects of that is like making development easier and you know access more accessible in certain ways mm -hmm. um but that's like that's the yeah like this topic that lights lights me up because i'm just yeah. you know like it, it angers you too of like but you realize you know of like the you know to stay you know you want to have the staying power to like actually see it through um you know because a lot of people are just like eh, it's not my fight like i just I'm just gonna go. Yeah. It's like I get it. I I understand. Um, yeah, but what happens is when enough people do this, when enough people basically say I give up and they leave, we lose. Mm -hmm. Those of us that stay lose. Yeah. And at some point, those losses are racking up, and so you know, my feeling about it is we need to get to a place to where we have solutions. So one of the things that I'm doing is uh, the the CEO of the Building Industry Association in San Diego is actually a friend of mine and she's coming on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. What's her name? Um, Lori Filer. So one of the things we're going to be talking about when she's on the podcast is we're going to be talking about solutions. We're going to mm -hmm. be talking about 
different things that we can do to help solve this massive inventory issue, right? And things that the building industry association is doing in partnership with some of the local municipalities and that kind of thing. So uh, should be should be enlightening. We're gonna be we're gonna be getting together with her sometime next month, um, and she's super excited to to get on the calendar. And so um, you know it should be it should be really good. We also have um, the chairwoman uh, at the end of this month. We have the chairwoman of the uh, Republican Party in San Diego County. She's coming on um, on the podcast. So we're starting to get some people that have some some authority, right? And we're starting to um, we're starting to gather, if you will, a lot of the data and a lot of the information that we need, so that we can so that we can make a you know a, a major a major con- contribution. So um, it, it's yeah. I, we're look, I'm looking forward to it. This is this has been this has been an absolute labor of love for me, and it's something that's been in the making for nine years now. Um, I used to I've been on radio and television in San Diego since 2011. And in 2014, I gave up a daily show that I had that was an hour each day, Monday through Friday, evening wow. drive time um, on KCBQ called The Mike Litton Show. And I gave it up because I I needed to go chase my kids around while they were in high school. Um, I was missing that. And I didn't, I was, that was not an acceptable outcome for me. So I took a self-imposed hiatus um, and I told myself that I was either going to come back on radio or I was going to create a podcast. And the podcast, I wanted to tell people stories. I wanted to give people an opportunity to tell what they're, you know, where they came from, you know, how they ended up out here, how they ended up doing what they're doing. And I promise you this, there will be people that will listen to this podcast and they will be inspired and they will be motivated because there'll be something in your past, like growing up in Ohio or growing up in a small town or living in Rochester, you know, whatever, right? There'll be something, they might have a wife that's older than them, right? Whatever, right? They might have a daughter, they might have a baby that was in in ICU, right? Yeah. There's something in there that they'll connect with you and it'll inspire and motivate them, I promise you. And that's what we're all about. We're all about inspiring and motivating. And I cannot, I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for being here and thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me to do this. I'm a big fan. So any way I can support in the future. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. All right. Thank you, buddy. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.